That was quite a reading, wasn't it? You should see how long the sermon's going to be. <laughs> uh, before we do dive into it, look, I just want to give you a bit of an update on uh, uh, Jude. Um, so we saw the on- oncologist uh, during the week, and uh, Jude's been given the uh, first of hopefully many all clears. So, um, uh, yeah, we're certainly praising God and very grateful to you all for your prayers. Uh, for us as a family and for Jude uh, specifically. Um, you know, every one of us only have the breath of each day because of God's mercy, just that sometimes because of our circumstances, we're more aware of it. <laughs> That's true, isn't it, though? Uh, well, let's pray as we come to God's Word this morning. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Uh, please help me to explain it in an interesting and helpful way and help us to respond to you with ever-growing trust and dependence and obedience. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a recent uh, British uh, research published in Focus magazine, uh, put out by the BBC, said Aussies are the worst sinners in the world. Out of 35 countries that they uh, studied, Australians ranked first for envy, third for lust, third for gluttony, greed, sloth, Roth and pride also scored highly. How are you feeling? Okay. Just check the pulse. Um, the final tally of all these 35 countries deemed Australians the most sin-prone nation on the planet. And here we are this morning at the end of a book all about God's judgment on a nation for their sin. Now how are you feeling? Just warmed up, ready to go out for another week? (laughs) The situation's actually a bit worse than that. You see, Micah wasn't just speaking to any nation. He was speaking to God's people, the Israelites. Now, who are God's people today? Well, it's everyone who follows Jesus, isn't it? Christians. So this is a word aimed uh, not at the people out there, but the people in here, God's people. Us, the church. Now, of course, the people in Micah's day, uh, they didn't go from saint to sinner overnight. It was a slow process of erosion over several generations uh, in a process that I call normalization. You see, they became tired of opposing sin, tired of resisting sin, tired of repenting. Of their sin. Then they got familiar with sin and then blind to sin. You know, the more extreme forms of rebellion slowly became mainstream and eventually they were fully engaged in sin and even encouraging each other to plunge headlong into it. Sinful attitudes, sinful words, sinful behaviors, lifestyle choices, the process of normalization rotted their faith from within. Does anyone here like the show Survivor? Matt Bartlett, I knew I'd get at least one hand. Thank you for that. A few others, that's good. Um, I found it fascinating, up to 36 seasons now, I think. I found it fascinating to see how the attitude to truth has changed over the years, uh, over 15 years now. Um, Lying was once regarded as morally wrong and uh, people were rightly shocked and hurt when it happened. But over time, lying has moved from the moral edge right into the middle 
of gameplay. It's an accepted, even celebrated part of the game. And these are just people picked from the society of which we're all a part. And I just wonder what else has moved from the edge to the centre. As a church, we need to ask ourselves, what sins have we stopped resisting, stopped repenting of? What kind of sins are we too familiar with? What sins have we become desensitised to? What sins do we accept now that perhaps we didn't in previous uh, generations? Where is our witness to a sin-broken world being eroded by this gradual, insidious process of the normalisation of sin? We really need God's help, don't we? And he gives it through the voice of his prophet Micah. Last week, John gave a helpful summary of the whole book up to uh, chapter 6. Um, in your connect groups, many of you have seen that YouTube summary. Um, there, yeah, that one. Uh, just a heads up, we're about to launch into the book of Malachi. They've done one on Malachi too. Really helpful stuff. Um, so rather than give you just another overview of the whole book as, as we've, we've done it, uh, I want to highlight some of Micah's key ideas in this passage uh, that really come throughout the whole book and see how they point us, they drive us towards Jesus. Week after week, we've seen a familiar pattern. The people have slid into sin. Micah and other prophets, you know, uh, they're, they're speaking, warning about God's judgment. Exile is just around the corner. And then, you know, of course it happens. And then there's this promise of hope for a remnant of God's people. And then we see in Israel's history so often uh, they, they come clean with God and they kind of live in obedience for a while and then they slide into sin and just round and round and round it goes. We see that cycle of sin again and again not just throughout Israel's history, but throughout the history of the church. I think we see it in our families too. I think we see it in our own hearts. For example, I mean, if you've got kids, you know how it plays out. Things are going fine for a while. Then the kids start to push boundaries and do the wrong thing. Then sooner or later, you just do your block. You, you take action. Right, and, and harsh words and punishments are dealt out. And then there's some kind of reconciliation. I'm sorry, I forgive you, all that kind of thing. And then things go along nicely for a while. And then, you know, the kids... It's always the kids, isn't it, in families? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, but you, you see that cycle going on. I think it's worth asking ourselves the question as we look at that cycle up on the screen, where am I right now here this morning? In my heart towards God... What best reflects where I'm at? What, what about us as a church? Well, let's see what God has to say to us. Uh, there's four parts in the reading that was read out, and, and I agree, In I think those NIV headings have nailed those sections helpfully for us. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles open, we'll follow it together. The first two of those sections uh, have a similar shape. It's on the screen. Um, we can see there's an introduction then a bit of a list of sins, and we've, you know, we've heard them catalogued time and time again through Micah. Uh, then there's consequences described, and then there's some sort of conclusion. A little bit different in each one, but let's take a closer look uh, at the way this plays out. 
6 verse 9, Micah has the megaphone out. He's got it right on our eardrums and he's saying, listen. But look closer. Who's really calling? It's not Micah. He's just the mouthpiece. The Lord is calling. And we need to do more than just listen, don't we? Look at the next heading. Heed. Heed, he says. Friends, it's not enough just to merely listen to God's word. We need to do what it says. So, so much of the book of James in the New Testament is about. Then the next few verses outline some of their sins. Again, we've heard it before. And, you know, before we get bored or smug, let's be honest. How many times does God have to speak to you and me about the same sins before we truly listen and heed what he has to say? The Israelites needed lots of reminders. I'm no different. I reckon we're exactly the same. Well, what are some of the sins that perhaps we're way too familiar with? Remember when I was at Bible college, uh, David Cook was the principal, and uh, one semester he did a series which he called The Unheeded Christ. Ended up publishing it as a book. You can probably get a cure on um, Here's a list of some of the sins that he reckons Christians ignore today. They're just like chapter headings. Loving enemies, forgiving others, misusing God's good gift of sex, selfish ambition, accumulating wealth for self, revenge, ignoring God's final judgment, unresolved tension between Christians, self-delusion, self-indulgent, self-medicating, things like alcohol, coffee and chocolate even, out of control, relying on uh, jealousy, anger, pride and thanklessness. Did all those bullets completely miss you? <laughs> Maybe one of them, oh, I, got, I got hit by a spray. Um, that's quite a list, isn't it? I actually think it's worth reflecting on lists like that. Jesus gave a similar list in uh, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. You can look it up later. Micah has been warning the people that God's punishment is coming because of their sin. Exile and death in a foreign land. And that should have been a huge motivation for change. But here in this text today, Micah highlights two ways that God's rod of discipline is already at work. And I want to focus on these because God is at work in our lives in these same two ways. I've highlighted the consequences there. That's where we're going to be looking. The first, verses 13 to 15, verse 13 starts, Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you. Why? Because of your sins. What sins? Verse 14 and 15. Eating, storing, planting, farming the land. I mean, that's my summary of what it says, isn't it? Aren't they good things? Yes. In fact, those things are gifts from God to us. So what's the problem? It's what we do with them. You see, God gives us so many good gifts. Family, friends, food, work, rest, 
play, recreation, so many wonderful things, a beautiful environment in which we live. They're all good gifts from him to be received with thanksgiving and enjoyed for his glory. But when we take those gifts and ignore God the giver, or as someone put it yesterday, when gifts become God's in our hearts and take his place, God's rightful place in our heart, then our satisfaction evaporates and frustration creeps in. It's fascinating, isn't it? When we look to food or family or alcohol or sex or friendships or sport or work or any created thing to satisfy the ache of our empty souls and try and find some satisfaction, it disappears. It just becomes an idol in our hearts and we're left feeling empty because it cannot satisfy us. It was never meant to. See, God has ordered the world in such a way that if we seek lasting satisfaction in anything other than him, then satisfaction will elude us. We'll never find it. But here's the good news. If we satisfy our hearts in him, then we, can, can, we really can enjoy all of his gifts. And find wonderful delight in those things. Because we're not looking to them to fill what only God can give us. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. After warning his listeners against chasing uh, things for the wrong reason, Jesus says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you anyway. Picture this. A bike wheel. I've been doing some cycling. It's a, just a great image. Um, it has several parts. There's a, a rim. Oh, it looks more round on that. That wheel's like a squashed down oval. Give me a shock. Um, yeah, there's a rim around the edge, lots of spokes, and a, a hub in the center. That's a really good wheel, that one. I like it. I wish I had that on my bike. Um, every spoke is joined to the hub, and the hub is the center of it about which everything moves. Remove that hub and the whole will goes crashing to the ground. Now I want to say, Jesus is the only hub that can hold the wheel of our lives together and make it work and make sense of it. It's the way God has made us. Keep everything in life connected to the hub of Jesus and life makes sense. Let him be the one who determines what spokes should be connected to your life or or what spokes you need to just get rid of. Let him be the one who helps you discern what is right and helpful and godly for our lives. Let him be the one who shapes your thinking, your attitudes, your behavior, the way you speak. Let him be the hub of your heart. As we move into chapter 7, it begins in a similar way, outlining more sins of the people. And there's some classic lines like, you know, he says, both hands are as skillful in doing evil. The Israelites, they're not half-hearted about their sin. They are like professionals. They've just gone full throttle into sin. Uh, what about this line? I love this one. The best of them is like a briar and the most upright like a thorn hedge. Yeah, they're, they're a farming culture, yet some crops are worth more than others. But Micah is saying, 
it's a really John Jolt his hearers, uh, that the moral value of their lives is worse than a weed, more pointless than a prickle. Micah doesn't hold back, does he? Then halfway through verse 4, there's this turning point. The watchman announces God's arrival and there's confusion and chaos between people. And so we see the second way God's rod of discipline is already at work is this. He allows us to experience the damage in relationships that is caused directly by our own sin. Can anyone relate to that? I certainly can. Sin seriously damages relationships. Look at verses 5 and 6. Even those closest to us. It's a devastating picture. In the third section, there's lots there, but, but we can clearly see God's mercy not just in rebuilding broken Israel, but in bringing hope to the nations as they come to the God of Israel. It's another reminder that yeah, God's mercy, it's there for anyone who will receive him. It's there for anyone who will stop rebelling against him and turn to him to be saved. No one on the planet is out of the reach of God's mercy. No one. We had a little magnet set as kids, and uh, you know you connect them all together. But if you got one of the little bars round the wrong way, it would push the other pieces away. You ever done that with magnets? Yeah. Um, I think we often treat God like that. Ah, oh, we, we 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 sense Him moving closer to us, drawing near to us, and we kind of uh, we push Him away. Why do we do that, friends? We need to turn our hearts around so that as he draws near to us, we draw near to him. And we enjoy the loving relationship with him that he sent his son to make possible. Well, what does that kind of relationship look like? Micah uses the image of a shepherd again in verse 14. That made sense to people in his day. What about us? I don't see many shepherds and sheep around here. Um, one of our dogs just had puppies. I think that's a good picture. It's actually not her. It's straight off the internet. But <laughs> she's in this little cave thing. It was just too dark, so I cheated. Um, but, yeah, there's a loving, gentle mother who provides everything her pups need. And pups just trust her. You could say blindly trust her <laughs> at that age. Um, you know, God provides everything we need for life and godliness. All we need to do is trust him. Trust him completely and enjoy what he gives us. Enjoy what he provides. The last three verses. The, I reckon this is the high point of the whole book. Can I say, who knows the meaning of their name? Okay, quite a few people. Go call some out. What, what's your name and what does it mean? Strength. Strength. Hope. Hope. Gift of God. Free. Free. Pearl. Pearl. Humble, little one. Yeah. Praise. Praise God. Names are great, aren't they? Yeah. 
Gift of God. Yeah, lo- names are beautiful, aren't they? Isn't it lovely? House of unripened figs. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> Why did I go for that extra one? <laughs> Classic. But yeah, names names are important. And, and whether they had a, a positive or a less positive meaning, we see in Old Testament times in particular that, um, that names played out in the life of the person. Now, Micah, anyone know what Micah's name means? It's right there at the start of verse 18. His name actually means, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? It's, it's a positive question. Um, names were so important, weren't they, in the Old Testament? Like Adam, you know, means earth uh, or, or man. Abraham means father of nations. Uh, Micah. Micah, as he confronts the sins of his people, his own name is the focus of their hope. The character of the God he's pointing them back to. Look at the wonderful answer to that that kind of name-asking question. Uh, Question-asking name, perhaps. Uh, Verses 18 to 20. Micah says in, in these last few verses, there are two things that guarantee the hope that we have. Firstly, the character of God, and secondly, the promises of God. Let's look at the character of God. Verse 18. God, what's he like? Well, he pardons sin. He forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't stay angry forever. Praise him for that. But he delights to show mercy. He's speaking to God now. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. What a wonderful picture. Corrie Ten Boom picked up on that picture. She was a Christian who saved, along with her family, saved many Jews during the Holocaust in Germany. She said, uh, it's like God ties all our sins up in a big sack full of rocks and hurls them into a lake. And then sticks up a sign saying, no fishing. The second reason for hope is the promises of God. See verse 20. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. What was God's promise to Abraham? Well, it was a few things. But God promised Abraham that one of his descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. And God was faithful to that promise, wasn't, wasn't he? Micah longed for it. He looked forward to it. He prophesied that God would bring it about. About 680 years later, God did. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like Micah had prophesied. And when Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of sin and reversed the curse of sin and removed the guilt and penalty of sin for all who put their trust in. In him. What a blessing he is. What a blessing to the to the whole world. And friends, that's where Micah ends. I think it's worth us asking, what are we going to do about our sin, our heavy load? Are we going to allow God to throw it in the depths of the sea? because of the blood of Christ on our behalf? Or are we going to carry it ourselves? So the gradual slide of sin was out of control. In- 
the Lord's Supper. That was a moment, wasn't it? I, I should have noticed you turning that microphone up and up to try and get my voice as it was going. I, I just really wanted to raise the impact of that moment. Uh, where the, the slide of sin, the slide of the microphone. It's all happening. Uh, it was out of control in Micah's day. And many would say the slide of sin is out of control in our day too. But what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond are we going to allow sin to become normalized in our mind, in our heart, in our conscience? Or like Micah, are we going to go against the flow of the society around us and trust in the mercy and compassion of the God who alone can forgive sin because he gave his only son to die on the cross to make it possible? Imagine Micah with me for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes, perhaps sandals. He prophesied for decades. No one listened. Micah was faithful and fearless in the face of strong opposition. Do you reckon he got discouraged sometimes? You bet. But he kept going. Friends, as we seek, like Micah, to speak the hope of God to those around us. We need to persevere too and never lose hold of that hope ourselves, that hope in the gospel. Yeah, after several decades, one person did finally listen and respond. King Hezekiah, you can read all about it in 2 Kings, chapters 18 through 20. He turned from his sin and, and turned back to God and then led the nation in a mini revival that lasted for 15 years. God actually held back the, the destruction that he promised for 15 years because of what happened. It wasn't until after King Hezekiah died that it finally came about. Friends, one faithful person can make a difference. A huge difference. We, we need to take encouragement from that. And it wasn't so much Micah as the word of God that he spoke. Remember, the power is in the word. Keep reading it. Keep living it, believing it, obeying it, and speaking it. We can't ch change the heart of those who hear. But God can. So be encouraged and persevere. And lastly, I want to say this. Micah had a long ministry. It spanned three kings and at least two generations. Therefore, can I urge us all to have concern, not just for our own spiritual welfare, but for the spiritual health of the next generation. I love Matt and Amanda and the valuable work that they do amongst our young people. Because here's the problem. What is embraced by one generation, it's on the screen, is so easily assumed by the second generation and then so often forgotten by the generation after that. May this never be true of us here. Keep loving Jesus, growing together, keep speaking the good news and supporting others for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. Let's pray.
Dear Father, thank you for giving us hope in Christ because by ourselves in our sin we would have no hope. Help us hold fast to Christ, to persevere through challenging times and to remain faithful even if others around us are unfaithful or uninterested. Help us fix our eyes on Jesus in whom we have hope both now and forever.